Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a scalable, full-stack monitoring platform. Datadog's synthetic API tests help you detect and debug user-facing issues in critical endpoints and applications. Build and deploy self-maintaining browser tests to simulate user journeys from global locations. If a test fails, get more context by inspecting a waterfall visualization or pivoting to related sources of data for troubleshooting. Plus, Datadog's AI-powered browser tests automatically update to reflect changes in your UI, so you can spend less time fixing tests and more time building features. Proactively monitor user experience today with a free 14-day trial of Datadog. Visit datadog.com slash frontend dash cloudcast. That's datadog.com slash frontend dash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody's doing well. Another Sunday Perspective show. And today's show is going to be a little bit different. Um, usually Sunday Perspectives, we tend to to dig into a topic. We look at a historical thing. We try and put things in a little bigger context. And we're going to do a little bit of that today. But today's going to be a little bit of an appreciation show. And it's appreciation for looking at a, a company. In this case, we're going to look at MongoDB who has really gone through a transition that a number of companies in the tech industry, especially companies who've been around for a little while, are trying to accomplish, trying to emulate, um, and are, are looking at sort of as a North Star. And I say that in the context of you know MongoDB, obviously, uh, uh, as an open source project, has been around for quite a while, 12 plus years or so now, I think. Um, you know, As a public company, they've been around for uh, a number of years. We're going to kind of look at the history of, of MongoDB, the commercial company. But to look at how they transitioned from uh, open company, open source project, to commercial company, to their IPO, to most importantly, uh, driving more than 50% of their business through the cloud, right? And and how you go about doing that is a very tricky transition. Uh, it involves a lot of uh, difficult conversations to probably have internally, uh, but also, you know, some interesting conversations to engage with the market. And so we're going to try and dive into that and kind of look at kind of what some of the trade-offs might have been, some of the ramifications and some of the learning things that other software companies or companies that are coming into the market or companies that are evolving in the market might take from what's been going on with MongoDB right after the break. Today's show is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. You know how much we value ongoing education on the Cloudcast. And CBT Nuggets is exactly what Aaron and I wish we had when we were trying to get our certification early in our careers. CBT Nuggets is all about bringing a personalized touch to learning about cloud computing, virtualization, networking, DevOps, and much, much more. Whether it's their hands-on labs with personalized coaching or the online chat functions that come up with every instructor-led course, CBT Nuggets' team of experts is always there to help you get the most from your training and your PASA certification. You can check it all out at cbtnuggets.com cloudcast and sign up for a free trial. You get access to the full catalog of great training, including virtual labs, quizzes, and other premium features completely free for the first seven days. That's cbtnuggets.com cloudcast. Today's show is sponsored by Veeam. The forecast is showing clouds, so make sure you're prepared with simple, secure, and cost-effective cloud data protection from Veeam. Take advantage of this exclusive Veeam offer that includes unlimited AWS or Azure backup free for 30 days. That's free for 30 days. $250 in cloud credits and 25% off when you buy 12 months. Veeam has you covered. To check out this offer, visit 
vee.am veem slash free dash azure dash backup dash credits. That's vee.am slash free dash azure dash backup dash credits. And we're back. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to talk a little bit about looking at historically uh, what's been going on with MongoDB, the project. Uh, We're also going to more importantly look at MongoDB, the commercial entity that oversees that project or is sort of the lead on that project. And we're going to look at it from the context of, you know, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, it might have been, um, you know, there was an article that came out from the folks at A16Z uh, looking at cloud repatriation. And it got a lot of news and a lot of notice. And, um, you know, people were, it was, you know, the premise was um, a lot of companies, especially SaaS companies, start off in the public cloud. And at some point they grow to a steady state. Maybe they're not growing as much. And maybe cost-wise, they should look to repatriate uh, those workloads back to some sort of colo or data center. Now, that's not going to be the focus of this show. The reason I bring that up was because the sort of North Star that gets pointed to in that article, and I'll put it in the show notes in case you haven't seen it or didn't listen to the show previously, um, was Dropbox as an example of a company who had gone through fantastic growth, uh, unbelievable explosive growth. Um, And I care if it was pre-IPO or post-IPO, I think it was maybe pre-IPO, decided that, you know, their cost structure was uh, was challenging, uh, at least at the time. And they repatriated or built out their own data centers for, um, you know, to be able to bring those workloads back into something that they had more control over, as opposed to paying the public cloud. Now, the reason I bring this up as the starting point is one of the biggest uh, transitions we're seeing happening in our market today uh, across a lot of different areas is software companies who have established themselves, uh, or actually I should say technology companies who have established themselves for a number of years, primarily as either software companies, hardware companies, some mix of the two, um, a lot of times on-premises companies uh, targeting enterprise types of workloads, enterprise types of customers. And those companies and those technology sets trying to figure out how do we now transition those into the public cloud? And some of those are trying to transition those as purely cloud services. They may run their own cloud. So an example of that might be Oracle. Uh, In other cases, they're trying to transition those technologies into cloud services. So uh, we see VMware, Red Hat, uh, Confluent, many others trying to do these types of things. Um, in other cases, you know, trying to figure out how do we transition in more of a hybrid model, um, you know, meaning how do I create uh, connectivity, consistency between an on-prem environment and a public cloud or multiple public cloud environments. Now, the reason I highlight all that is because one company is really kind of becoming the North Star for how to do that. And the question is, should we be admiring what MongoDB has been doing over the last number of years? Or are they going to turn out to be sort of a unique use case similar to Dropbox in that it's sort of hard to find another great repatriation use case, uh, i.e. Dropbox? Will we be able to find another company who um, you know, can can make the transition, make the change, or make this sort of bilateral uh you know, way of running business the way that MongoDB has over the last number of years. So 
Let's sort of look look back a little bit historically at, at MongoDB. Uh, you know, about twelve years ago. So, what does that mean? Uh, you know, two thousand nine ish. The MongoDB project launches. Um, you know, at the time, it's very much like a number of, of uh, other popular open source projects. It's driven primarily by one company, right? We've seen this with Docker and Kafka with Confluent and plenty of others, Redis and others. Um, you know, so you have the MongoDB project, open source project, and you have the MongoDB Corporation, uh, which is you know there to commercialize and, and monetize. Uh, for companies who want to pay for you know support and other types of things, the project is very successful. It uh, you know goes and targets a specific technical problem, which is customers who um, you know a SQL database isn't the right fit for uh, maintaining documents and files. Right, so you have a unique problem that gets solved, uh, which is great. Uh, their approach to the market was very much. Uh, value proposition around, you know, uniqueness of a new database type, but also simplicity. It was easy to get up and running. It was easy to get started with. And that was a lot of their appeal to early developers, early DBAs was, um, you know, a unique problem case with a simple way of solving it. Now, MongoDB, the product, uh, the project went through, you know, all sorts of ups and downs, uh, lots of growth, um, some criticisms about, you know, how well it stored data and did it lose data and all sorts of things like that. I'm not going to get into any of that into this show. Um, that's sort of in the past and it's for a whole different technical conversation we could have with the folks from MongoDB. Maybe we will at some point in time. But, you know, they they went off and they did the sort of typical um, open source originated project. Uh, and they did some things that are pretty typical or we often see uh, as things start to commercialize. So try to commercialize it, um, you know, build support documentation around it, but then also begin to build some open core types of things. So open core, for those of you not super familiar with it, basically means, um, you know, one company, uh, in this case, MongoDB, who's the, the leading builder of the project, decides to start building some features that they don't give back to the community. And those features become things that they try and monetize and are only available in the commercial product. So that approach is often called open core, where you know the core of the product is open source or the core of the project is open source, um, but the product uh, that gets sold, it's foundationally still built on that open source, but then there are additional non-free features that are built. And those are you know built for a couple of different reasons. Um, in some cases, they're built to differentiate uh, into the marketplace versus, say, other groups that may have taken that open source project and made it the, the foundation of their business. Um, in many cases, when you are the most well-known in the community or the most knowledgeable about the project, you're the lead of the project oftentimes, um, you probably have the most direct relationship with customers. And in, most, and in many cases, you are the place that many companies come to with their most difficult problems, right? They'll come back to you and they'll go, we started using this as the open source. Um, we weren't able to do everything we wanted to do. Could you do this? And and this is one of those situations in which, um, you know, the lead, oh, especially the commercial entity, looks at that and goes, hmm, do we try and solve this problem um, for the customer? And then put it back into the open source community, in which case um, they have a relationship with the customer, but they probably aren't going to necessarily monetize it, especially if the customer says, hey, I started with the free open source version. Um, Or, you know, do we build these as open core and uh, potentially begin to start charging the customer because they've obviously identified that that problem space 
is something that if it's solved, creates value for their business. Hence, there's a potential that they may want to or be willing to pay for uh, those features, right? And support for those features on an ongoing basis. So that becomes sort of um, business challenge number one is, you know, when do you start potentially considering doing something as open core? And, and every company or every project, actually, I should say every company has to sort of go through that uh, thought exercise because the challenge is once you start creating open core, uh, you start to drift further and further, in some cases away from your, your core open source project, right? You also have to maintain and support those for the long term. It's it's sort of this double-edged sword, right? Do I want to take on engineering costs? Do I want to drift away from my community? Does this you know, run the risk that somebody else will step in and sort of take over the community, the lead for the community. So that, that becomes problem number one. And MongoDB seemed to have navigated that pretty well. Uh, they continued to grow the business. They continued to grow their number of customers. They had a number of customers, um, you know, above $100,000 and more. There's a really good article I put in the show notes that kind of walks through the history, the financial history of MongoDB. And then at some point, um, you know, probably around 2014, 2015, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, MongoDB was obviously seeing uh, the rise of cloud computing. And, you know, the nice thing about open source software or any software typically is you can run it anywhere you want to. So I'm sure they had customers who were running it in their own data centers, but also beginning to run it in the public cloud, right? We were seeing, as we've seen in many shows that we've covered here, go back historically, the public cloud was beginning to grow quite a bit since, you know, by 2015, it was a multi-billion dollar company, AWS and Azure and Google and, and so forth. Um, and so companies were likely running it on top of the public cloud and um, to a certain extent, probably struggling a little bit uh, because to run things at large scale takes pretty sophisticated operational people. And so they probably kept coming back to Mongo and saying, hey, it'd be nice if you had built some other you know, great features or features that were AWS aware, Azure aware, and so on and so forth. And so at that point, Mongo probably had to go through some soul searching again, another sort of inflection point and say, hey, um, you know, how do we do this? Do we want to invest in, you know, kind of building all these features uh, about, you know, cloud specific so that they run better in the cloud, but yet we're not necessarily bringing our expertise and understanding MongoDB to to the table. Or as we're seeing more and more people get familiar with the cloud, be comfortable with the cloud, they begin to start saying, I don't want to run that software. I'd like to consume that software. I'd like somebody else to run it for me, right? So you shift from sort of customer managed to cloud managed. And so in 2016, they launched the MongoDB Atlas database as a service, right? And and that's a really big inflection point because a couple of things. Number one, uh, from a sales and marketing perspective, you're no longer talking about um, you know, all these features and customizations that customers can do and all the unique ways they can run it and running it on premises. Maybe they're disconnected from the internet in all sorts of ways. You're talking about consuming it as a service. And, you know, MongoDB decides what features are turned on, what features they want to offer, what price points they want to offer. The second piece is it really changes your economic model as a software company. You go from, you know, writing the software once, uh, putting it out in some place where you can download the file, and at that point, um, you know, you don't have to pay to operationalize it. You just paid for the engineering. Well, when you're running a cloud service, you not only have to pay for the engineering, but you also have to operationalize that. And you have to pay to run the service, whether or not anybody comes to the service or not, right? So that changes your economic model, but it also aligns to where customers are going, right? And so you have to figure out 
how do I change my investment? Where do we change our investment? Um, how do we prioritize how we market things, right? Because how you market software that people consume and how you collect you know, information about how they're using it, telemetry or some other means, is very different from running a service where you really understand how people are using it. You can look at usage patterns. You can look at consumption patterns. You can start to make uh, more informed decisions about your software. And so there were some big trade-offs uh, that have to go on. And as I mentioned, there's a lot of companies, especially that have been software companies, are trying to figure out how to do that. You have to build up operational expertise, right? People have to trust that you can run it better than they can. And you would assume that, you know, the, the people who are lead for some software uh, know how to run it, but not necessarily, right? Like in many cases, they just have engineering expertise. They've built the software, but they haven't necessarily run the software. So you have to build up an SRE team, a DevOps team, you know, operational expertise. You have to be able to certify that it, it meets all the criteria for regulatory types of things, you know, NIST and HIPAA and, and all sorts of other regulations. So there's a lot that goes on with transitioning from having a software project to a cloud project. Um, and so, you know, that was, a, a, I'm sure, a very, very large transition to make. Now, what's interesting is this was all done pre-IPO. So, you know, there's the other tra- there's the other sort of thought process that goes on of can you make big transitions before you're under the scrutiny of being a public company, uh, but yet you're still under the scrutiny of of being VC funded and and you know VCs and, and your board kind of looking at you and your numbers versus a company that tries to make a transition after an IPO. Um, you know, as I mentioned, uh, you know, I believe, if I remember right, Dropbox did their big transition pre-IPO. Mongo rolled out Atlas pre-IPO. Um, and, and it's a difficult thing because you change your margin, you change your product structure, you change your go-to-market, you change a lot of things that, from a market perspective, the market now has some uncertainty about you. They don't know if this transition is going to work. They know what, how the previous thing worked but they're not sure how this new transition is going to work. Um, in the case of MongoDB, I'm sure they had to go to their investors, to the market and say, hey, um, you know, the market is moving towards using the cloud. We have to be part of that. And I'm sure to a certain extent, you know, people were asking questions like, well, if you start putting this in the Amazon cloud or the Azure cloud or anywhere else, aren't they just going to build a service based on MongoDB and compete with you? Like, how is that going to work? Now, in the case of, you know, MongoDB as a service, uh, yeah, that did happen, right? So, for example, like, um, even though Atlas was launched in 2016, it took AWS three years before they launched um, Amazon DocumentDB with MongoDB compatibility. So there is some advantage of, of being first mover, of knowing the product probably or the technology better than anybody else. But there is going to be a risk of, you know, when you have an, an open source project as your core, of that becoming a cloud service. So again, that's another sort of transition point, inflection point, um, thought process that has to go into that decision. And we can have debates about whether it's worked out well or didn't work out well, or you know the licensing changes that Mongo tried to implement to protect themselves a little bit. That's for a whole different conversation. In fact, we've sort of had some of those conversations uh, previously. I'll put those in the show notes. You can go back and listen to those shows. But what's been really interesting is one of the byproducts you would have thought maybe what they were thinking was when we launch Atlas, we're going to take Atlas, which is, again, MongoDB as a service, database as a service, and we're going to go off and and go after enterprise customers, right? Just those same enterprise customers we used to sell software to, we're now going to try and sell the cloud service to. And the interesting byproduct of that is uh, I'm sure they have, to a certain extent, continued to sell to those customers. I'm sure there's been transitional types of things that have happened. But 
because they can offer it as a service and because they can um, offer it at a small footprint, um, because again, you know, when you don't have to have a large sales force, you can just offer it as an on-demand cloud service. You can also start to have different consumption models, right? And what Mongo has uh, figured out is this allows them to go after smaller customers, smaller SMB customers, mid-sized customers, developers that just want to experiment with things. And so in fact, what it's done is it's taken them from a very enterprise-centric company to allowing them to now have a new go-to-market that allows them to um, you know, go after different size customers. They don't necessarily have to apply a huge sales force or certain kinds of direct marketing. They can do indirect types of things. They can let people do on-demand things so they can run different programs. And that's kind of had to have been a very interesting transition because even internally, your marketing organization, the way that you run your sales organization and all those sort of things are going to be organized one way to begin with and to start having to say, hey, we have to build up some skill set. We have to build up some tools and internal tech stacks to be able to go after customers that we don't have face-to-face meetings with, that we don't always know what their profile looks like, that we don't know how long they're going to want to consume our technology. Those are all very different things and things that have to be invested in, have to be taken care of. And it's interesting to note that you know it took three years for Mongo to get from uh, MongoDB Atlas launching to their IPO. They IPO'd in 2019. Uh, I think at the, around the time, if I remember right, um, their IPO price was around $32. So, okay, great. Uh, they IPO'd. They had at least convinced the market that they were a viable entity to, uh, to go public. They had enough of a revenue stream that was interesting to the market that people wanted to invest in. Uh, and what's been really interesting is you know, their stock price is up around $500 now at this point. So what that makes them about a, you know, 15x, 17x, um, you know, stock growth uh, since 2019. And what's really interesting is, you know, people have looked at, you know, some of the things they've done around licensing and competition with AWS and other things, and they continue to grow. They continue to make their numbers. And again, I think a lot of that is an understanding of, what's important to their customers, right? It allows them to not only continue to invest in the MongoDB project, make sure that that compatibility is there, that um, that way of people wanting to try it out for free in software is available to them. And then they continue to invest in not only additional features that people would pay for on the software side, but also investing in those same features being available as a cloud service. Um, And obviously, uh, for some reason, uh, that model has worked uh, really well for Mongo, not only from a financial perspective, the market has rewarded them, uh, but they continue to grow. And, you know, even though, you know, people can have different opinions about, you know, some of the things they've tried to do on the open source licensing side, sort of server side uh, licensing to prevent companies who run MongoDB, um, uh, that they have to provide more things back into open source. And again, I'll put some links into details around that. Uh, they continue to grow. And so, you know, the, the point of the show is sort of to look at, number one, um, you know, what are the transitions that those companies like a Mongo have to go through? Um, because again, there are lots of companies who are going through these transitions, especially, you know, not only existing companies, but, you know, companies who started as open source, right? You have to figure out when does it make sense to begin to um, sort of build maybe away from your open source project, i.e. open core? Does that make sense to you? That's a decision point. The second thing is, when do you start offering things as a cloud service? Um, the answer is probably, you know, 
as soon as possible, if not yesterday, if not a year ago, right? If you're not already doing it. But there are a lot of investments that have to go on in order to become successful at that. You have to uh, invest in how to operationalize your own software. Do you know how to do it? You have to be able to you know, change your marketing technology stack. You have to change the way that you do sales. You have to change the way that you engage with your customers. And to a certain extent, you know, you have to change the way that you know, you're going to not only release your software, because as a cloud provider, um, you know, you may be able to release a feature at any given time as opposed to a big release. And um, so there's all sorts of both technical and business decisions that have to go on, have to be navigated. Um, Like I mentioned, uh, Mongo has figured out, uh, at least according to the market, uh, not making any technical judgments on their product or their technology, we can have that as a different conversation, we probably should at some point. Um, But they've done it in a way that customers continue to trust them. Uh, The market continues to reward them. And it's been a really interesting, you know, last couple of years, I guess we're in 2021 and, you know, 2019, they launched at least the last couple of years uh, to watch the growth of MongoDB, to watch the growth of, you know, in the face of people pushing back against some of their decisions uh, about their open source licensing and how they, you know, interact with their open source community, but also how they interact with the cloud providers and what that means from a co-op petition perspective has been really, really interesting to watch, um, you know, some of the ramifications of their decisions, what the knee-jerk reactions were from the community, what the longer-term ramifications have have sort of played out to be. Um, It'll be really interesting to watch to see if they should become, you know, a model of what other companies should try and do or whether or not they become sort of a unique unicorn a la like Dropbox, uh, you know, we mentioned at the beginning of the show in terms of, you know, what they did you know, sounds really interesting on paper and maybe it's just too difficult for other companies to accomplish. So it'll be interesting to watch those two things uh, over the next few years. Uh, You know, do they become a benchmark, a best practice for how to do it? Do other companies emulate it? Or, you know, did they just create the right situation at the right time, made a couple of smart decisions and, you know, what they've done is not able to be replicated. So, you know, both are, you know, really interesting options, really interesting things to watch over the next few years. And I'm sure there'll be more and more stories written up about, you know, how this company who, you know, had a similar starting path to a lot of different companies has been able to, you know, break out of the original mold, um, move into new places and, and ultimately, uh, at least, you know, for the last few years, find uh, a lot of success and, and continued success from, from where they were, you know, way back in the earliest days of the growth they had purely as an open source project. So with that, I'm going to wrap up. Uh, you know, it was an interesting, I always like sort of going back historically, looking at, you know, how companies got where they were, looking at the context of and timing of, of why they made decisions and, uh, you know, the outputs of those decisions. And so hope you enjoyed this. Uh, as always, um, you know, if you've got some topics you'd like us to talk about either on the Wednesday or Sunday show, we'd love to hear about them. Show at thecloudcast.net. Um, thanks to everybody to, uh, for everyone who listens to the show. Thanks to everybody who tells a friend about the show, helps us grow the community, um, you know, gives us feedback. We'd love to get five-star ratings wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us uh, continue to grow the show, brings awareness to the show, um, to everybody. And, and um, with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Hope you have a great weekend and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 